Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arseblog Arsecast right here on Arseblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Hope everything is good with you and yours. And thank you very much, as always, for being here. The pod is slightly late today, of course, because, well, it was the transfer deadline yesterday. And regardless of what happened uh, before 11 o'clock last night, whether Arsenal brought in a whole host of players or no players at all, the discussion was going to be very much informed by that. So that's why uh, it's a little bit late. Not the usual first thing Friday morning schedule. As it turns out, Arsenal tried to make a signing but couldn't make it happen in the end and I'm just going to get straight on with the show today and talk to our guest about transfer deadline day about the window as a whole and lots more and with me to do that from goal.com it's Charles Watts hi Charles hey Andy mate you're right I'm all right thank you I suppose we got to start with transfer deadline day and there was a measure of hope and expectation among Arsenal fans that we might be able to do something before the end of the window we know the the focus changed from bringing in more firepower, as Mikel Arteta talked about last week, the week before, to a central midfielder because of the injuries to Mohamed Elneny and um, Thomas Partey. The chase or the the, the target was Douglas Luiz, um, who scored against us uh, on Wednesday for Aston Villa. It didn't happen ultimately in the end. Arsenal, I think, do look a little bit weak in central midfield, a little bit light maybe, but in this particular instance... How do you view the the way this one panned out? Because this is a guy who's got less than 12 months left on his contract. To me, it seems a bit mad that Aston Villa turned down £25 million for him in those circumstances. I mean, if this was Arsenal, we'd be going, holy shit, £25 million for a player with less than a year left, we'll take it. They didn't want to. And Arsenal, at the same time, didn't want to push it any further than that. And you can kind of understand why. Yeah, I can understand why. Um, I agree with you. I think Villa are a bit mad. I don't quite get their reasoning for it. I don't think Arsenal really understand why they did it. I don't think the player does either. Mm. Um, but, I mean, fair play. I mean, they've got very rich owners. I suppose £25 million pounds, a bit of a drop in the ocean for them. And maybe they're thinking he might help keep us up. Mm. Um, they haven't started the season great. And, um, you know, 20, that staying up is going to prove a lot more uh, beneficial to their finances than £25 million from Arsenal split over a few years so yeah I, it's a weird one I just don't think I agree with you I think Arsenal look light I think there's no doubt about it I think they're going to need a little bit of luck now between now and certainly January um, just to ensure that we don't look back on the window and or certainly the final days of the window I think yeah this, that they sort of got caught cold a little bit but I don't know how much more you can go than 25 million for mm. Douglas Louise. I just really don't and I can understand why Arsenal thought yeah we're not that's it. That is a good offer, a good few offers that they put in during the day. Because, like you said, he's got nine months left on his contract. He's not going to be a starter at Arsenal if he's fit, because as soon as Thomas Partey's fit, he's going to be starting. And so, and, you know, two weeks ago, they, he wasn't even a priority. He wasn't really even on the agenda. This has only sort of come about because of the injuries to Thomas Partey and Mohamed Anani. If they hadn't got injury, injured, the, uh, yesterday would have been a deadline day focused on potentially trying to get a winger in rather than a central midfielder. So how much more can you really go than 25 million when you sort of add, put all those pieces together? So I can understand why they they got to a certain point and then felt, no, that's it, that's our lot. Um, but I can also st- understand the frustration a lot of fans feel at the moment thinking, you know, it's January all over again. We've left ourselves a little bit short and it might end up costing us in the in the long run. So 
it's a difficult one. It's, and the whole window as a whole is a difficult one because it's been a really positive start, really good moods, and then it's ended in a little bit of frustration. Yeah. Um, the timing of these it, things, isn't it? It's the, the timing, you know? It was quite funny because somebody mm. said to me on Twitter last night, I sort of put out a couple of tweets about it, and somebody said, like, um, Arsenal haven't done anything in this window. And it's like, God, you know, we're, we're top of the table – um, in no small part, thanks to the uh, £45 million striker we brought in in July, you know, there's that element of get your business done early. Everyone says, get your business done early. The guys can settle in, and it's much better for the team if you do that. And we can see that because, you know, Arsenal are top of the table right now. But when you get to the end of the window and when other clubs are doing some big things and, uh, you know, some crazy things, mad things going on, and we know that there are you know, some gaps in the squad or some places where we're light, it, it can sort of um, not twist your view of how the window is overall. But but I don't know. It's uh, how do you how do you um, liken it? It's sort of like a last minute equalizer or something like that, where you feel completely elated. But when you step back, you're going, well, that's only a draw at the end of the day. Something like that, where where the timing of what happens or doesn't happen has a big influence on how you feel about things in general. And, you know, 25 million pounds for Douglas Louise. I mean, we'd all be happy with a shiny new player, but it's 25 million pounds on a guy who's basically your Mohamed Elneny replacement. Yeah, absolutely. If you flip the transfer on ahead, you say Arsenal did nothing for the first six weeks of the window and then they ended it in the last four weeks by signing Sinchenko, Gabriel Jesus, players like that. People would be looking at it now but be, and it would be a completely different mm. sort of thought process behind it. It's like, well, look, you know, we've done we've done a lot. We've brought in Gabriel Jesus on deadline day. So yeah. it is absolutely the timing of it. You almost forget. And, and also there is this sort of Fabio Vieira sort of cloud as well that people... Yeah aren't really taken into consideration. I got absolutely hammered for this on Twitter <laughs> on um, Tuesday, which was a particularly brutal day on social media Tuesday when I, I, I wrote a piece and um, it was kind of, it was based on the fact that Arsenal were pretty happy with their squad and they are. And that pissed off so many people <laughs> that Arsenal were happy with their business and the, and the squad. Yes, they would have liked more. They would have liked a couple more, maybe certainly one more, but they are on the whole, they're relatively happy with the work that they've done. And, and I pointed out that we haven't even seen Fabio Vieira, this thirty million pound player that can play out wide, can play in centres, can play in a lot of positions, and mm. we've almost forgotten about him just because we haven't seen him yet. And um, you know he's going to come in soon, um, where you would hope and make an impact on this team as well. So there's him to come. There is still this player to come that we don't know about. He's a bit of an unknown quantity. So no, I think the window's been good. I think the window's been good on the whole. I think they've. It's been a window which has been mainly built around improving Arsenal's starting eleven, and it has absolutely achieved that, you know. And and Saliba, you kind of count as well, because yeah. I know he's not a new signing, because he's signed a couple of weeks, years ago, three years ago. But this is the first time we've seen him. He's, he's come back this summer, and again, it has improved the starting eleven. And yes, the squad could have been a bit stronger. Yes, there could have been a couple of backups. I, I absolutely think, I think right winger, the, the lack of right winger is a bigger concern to me, I think, than mm. the lack of central midfielder because I'm hoping Party will be back fairly soon and we're not sure on any yet. But the lack of cover for Saka is my main concern, I think, right now because, I mean, he is... We're, we're relying on him continuing this remarkable run. I think he's played in each of the last 47 Premier League games that Arsenal have had. No one's had more minutes than him than 20, not since the start of 2019-20. And we're kind of relying on him to continue that. And you just never know when that run's going to come to an end. Mm. Yes, he's durable, clearly. But it comes to a point when your body can't continue to face the demands that sure. he's currently facing. And if Arsenal don't, and if Saka breaks down, then there's no one really there. You're kind of relying on either a 19-year-old kid in Marquinhos. You're relying on Fabio Vieira, who, yes, he can play out, out wide, but from all accounts, he's better in the central areas and he's not an out-and-out -out winger. And... Um, so that's my main concern at the end yeah. of this window. It's more stacker than it is the lack of central midfielder. I agree with you. I, I mean, that was always my concern, my big concern in the second part of the window. You know, once we'd done the initial deals, it was like, right, it's not just about protecting Saka or, or you know, I think you, uh, players also benefit from a bit of competition. Clearly, he's a first choice. He's a remarkably talented player. 
I would not be surprised at all if on the back of a, a disappointing, in inverted commas, end to the transfer window, we got like a Bakayo Saka contract announcement pretty quickly. That wouldn't surprise me at all, just to sort of lift the mood again. But but that was my concern. It's like, what do we do? We knew Pepe wanted to go. We knew Arsenal wanted Pepe to go. That was not going anywhere. Um, they were after Rafinha, who plays in that position. Um, I mean, it might mean slight changes. Like you say, Marquinhos is somebody who could play there. Um, unknown quantity at this point, of course. We don't really know what he's about. And maybe we'll get to see in in the Europa League, Reese Nelson, a player whose career has sort of plateaued a little bit. So that is that is a little bit of a worry. And I do wonder, you know, after being quite upfront about what he wanted before the end of the window. I mean, you, you have to be uh, slightly fluid, don't you? When circumstances change the way they did with the injuries to El Nani and Partey, you know, y- you have to try and do something about that. So I think that kind of pivot towards the end of the window was driven by those injuries rather than uh, a real desire for a central midfield player. But w- what do you think Mikel Arteta will be thinking about how this window ended? Um you know, he spoke about wanting more firepower. We just smashed Bournemouth and he talked about, we need more firepower. Um, he's been clear, like, he doesn't want to just bring in somebody for the sake of uh, bringing in somebody. He wants the right player. He wants the right person, he said. Um, but do you worry that there might be a little bit of um, disappointment on his part because of what's happened, or will he be fairly understanding about the the way this played out and the circumstances in which you know the last week of the window played out? I think he'll be frustrated, but I think he'll probably understand. I think if, if the injuries to the midfielders hadn't happened and Arsenal had just focused all their areas in these last few days on a winger and, and that hadn't worked out, I think he'd probably be a little bit more disappointed than he is now because he'll probably understand that the need shifted, like you said, because of the injuries to El Nenian Party, but that everyone wants, I don't think it's just it's, uh, this morning, it's just going to be Arsenal fans and Arsenal managers thinking, oh, I could have done with one, one more. I think pretty much every single fan base, every single manager in, across the Premier League right now will be sitting there thinking, I wish we had one more. You always want more, don't you? you Apart from Chelsea, who, who, who've bought everyone. Yeah, <laughs> not important. Not sure they could fit anymore in. Um, uh, so I think he'll be frustrated. I mean, we'll hear from him later on today. Um, I mean, he's not going to, tell us the truth anyway <laughs> in front of the cameras and in the press conference what he's really feeling but I think he'll kind of understand it I think on the whole he'll be relatively happy with what he's got this transfer window and um, I know he said he's not a financial man in his press conference after the game on Wednesday night but he'll also understand in the last two summers Arsenal spent 250 odd million pounds and got absolutely sod all back in return and mm. I think that's the area you've got to look at that would have made this transfer window slightly easier if Arsenal managed to be able to actually sell any of their players over the last two years and then have more money to play with this summer to do and maybe push the boat out a little bit extra and get a couple of the targets in that they were unable to because of the finances just didn't allow it mm. and that's something they're going to have to improve and you know I know Eddie gets a lot of flack for it but it, it is definitely an area he needs to improve and I don't think he's been helped by the sort of makeup of the squad and the makeup of the players they were trying to shift over the last couple of years and you'd think the transfer policy they have now is going to make it easier from this point onwards to actually get a bit of return on the players because they're at a younger age they're not on as big as wages and they might be more more easy um, sort of affordable not just to English clubs but to European clubs because that's a big issue at the moment the rest of Europe's skin and getting players out of Premier League is really really hard if you're not selling to an English club you're just going to struggle to get any sort of money at the moment. Um, so that's an area they need to sort out. And I'm sure Arteta will, will understand that. And that's kind of the vision and the process that they've been working to for the last three years is yeah. to get the squad to this point where it might be able to start sustaining itself again rather than having to rely on bank loans and whatever sort of movement the Cronkies making behind the scenes to free up some cash to yeah. uh, allow them to keep sort of spending at the rate that they're spending. I mean, it can't go on for it. No, it can't. I mean, that is, you know, it's part and parcel of the job. And I think everybody accepts that there are difficulties. Everyone accepts that there are challenges when you've got, you know, a squad with, you know, players who are surplus to requirements and, and everything else. I mean, we can all see that. We know there's more money in the Premier League than there is uh, in Europe. But, you know, you look at the departures, you look at some of the names of the players who have gone out, 
and the amount of money Arsenal have got back in return, and it's 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 really poor. You know, Burn Leno and Lucas Torreira were the only players Arsenal managed to sell. The Burn Leno deal could be worth three million, depending on a load of clauses and if Fulham stay up for a couple of seasons. And Torreira, like. <laughs> On that basis, five million for Torreira from Galatasaray seems like a fucking incredible deal. But eight million pounds is basically all we brought in this summer, um, not counting the money that we got for Genduzi because that was sort of pre-arranged from the previous season. Same with Mavropanos, and you know Pepe is gone, zero money. Maitland Niles gone, zero money. Hector Bellerin gone, free transfer like. Somehow Barcelona have turned a profit on Aubameyang and got Hector for free in the same week. I mean, that's you can try and rationalise it, but when you just look at it at face value, it's it's a real frustration. Um, mm. Who did, did I mention? Maitland Niles. I know there's one other as well that went yeah. out. Um, Pablo Marie, for example. Um, maybe there's a few loan fees that have bolstered the coffers a little bit, but it's hard to know exactly what has come in in that regard. And and look, I I'm really encouraged by the recruitment the strategy of the recruitment I think for the most part we've managed to get the players that we want to get um, you know some high profile ones as well when you look at uh, Gabriel Jesus in particular the first team has improved but I mean do Arsenal really need to sit down and think about that other side of the technical director role the the executive role which is selling players and, and um, making players attractive two other clubs because there was that big interview with Edu wasn't there in the summer where he said look when you've got a player like this uh, it's impossible to sell them you just can't do it you know you have to go and say that's it you know we'll pay them to go away I'm paraphrasing a little bit but you know basically he said it's impossible to sell them and literally he had four or five of those players to try and sell I I get trying to explain things to people. I get trying to give people a little peek behind the curtain, whatever it is, or or open communication with fans, etc. But I'm not sure how smart that was, saying that publicly when you are trying to sell players who you're just saying, well, I can't sell them, so just have them. You know, I don't know that that was really the wisest. No, I I absolutely agree. And I I just think Arsenal are also sort of paying the price for recent history as well in that regard the clubs are just looking at what they've done over the last couple of windows and thought if we just hold on until right mm-hmm. at the end we're probably going to get these guys for free because Arsenal are just going to say you know what sort it will rip up their contracts and and you can have them and it, you kind of look at that Bellerin deal especially and I know Hector's not the player he was I know the injuries have taken his toll it's clear for everyone to see but he's coming off the back of a very good loan spell last season with Betis where he did very very well he won a trophy played a big key part in that trophy he's only 27 and you kind of look at that and you look at Chelsea got about 14 million for um, Marcus Alonso, to, not Marcus Alonso, um, Emerson Palmieri to West Ham, who's a year older than Hector, a fullback, a year older than Hector. And you just look at that and they got they got double figures for him and Arsenal get nothing for mm. Hector. I just don't, it, it, it baffles me. It's just that they need to improve. They can, that can't continue. And I hope this is the last summer or last window that we actually say this because, as I was saying, I think we look at the makeup of the squad now, the age of the squad, and I think those players are going to look a lot more appealing. And I can't see how Arsenal would you know would get into this situation because they've lowered the age age group, um, and I can't see it happening again. You look at, for example, this summer there was so much interest in Nuno Tavares, mm. even though. You know, I think we can all look at last season, you know, very hit and miss. He wasn't great. Yet there was still loads of interest in him. Yes, it was only a loan, but Arsenal didn't want to sell him last summer. So they got, so then they got rid of him on loan, sorry, this summer. But because of his age, because of his relatively low wages, there was loads of interest in him. He was an appealing prospect for people, for clubs, not just in England, but abroad. And I think when you look at the makeup of the squad now, that hopefully is going to be the same mm. going forward. That It's just... I, I just feel like hopefully this is the last summer that we're going to be talking about this situation that Arsenal... If, if they can't start selling these players in the future now, given the work they've done in the market to lower the age, to lower the wage bill, you know, then we then Edu's got a serious problem because, yeah. I mean, any owner will be looking at the finances and the balance sheet and the players who have gone and what's been brought in for them and thinking this can't, this can't yeah. continue. Yeah. You know, I, we, we, we have to run 
remotely self-sustaining, if not totally self-sustaining. I mean, that's still um, the model, isn't it? Self-sustaining is still the model, despite the fact that the owners of... Well, they it have. I mean, they've. Was. It doesn't seem like it is anymore, does it? Because of just because of what the last few years, and I know COVID has sure. totally messed things up as well in, in that regard. But it feels like a long time ago now that Arsenal were self-sustaining. Basically, since they dropped out of the Champions League, that self-sustaining model has been totally ripped up, and you know mm. they've spent spent. You can't say that they haven't spent money since then. They have, and um, yeah, they they're going to need to at some point. That can't continue, so they're going to need to get back and. Yeah. And Eddie's going to have to pull his finger out because if he's not, then I imagine the spotlight's going to be very f- firmly focused on him from above because for sure, can't keep doing that. for sure, because like you know, they have restructured the finances, the stadium debt. You know, the money that we've spent has come from. I assume it's come from loans. The finance might be favourable, but you know, loans still have to be repaid, whether it's to a friendly bank or whether it's to the owners or whatever it is. Um, so selling as part of your job as technical director, and I'm not saying it's all on Edu, but, you know, he is the guy in the in the hot seat, you know, is a, is a really important part of that job. Um, so, yeah, I, I think we do have to, um, we do have to improve in a very, very uh, big way in, in that regard. I know we've well, just... Maitland-Niles is the one. I don't, I don't yeah. get how Maitland-Niles is difficult to sell. Yeah, me neither. Me. I, it's, it's three years ago, he was very key in that FA Cup win, obviously, and they could have got 20 million. They turned that down, or around 20 million from all. They turned that down, which at the time I actually thought was a good decision because I I was looking at Maitland-Niles and I thought he was going to be quite a key player under Arteta. He clearly seemed to be liking him, but then <laughs> Arteta kind of does what Arteta does and freezes him out almost. Um, and that didn't wouldn't have made it easier to sell. But still, he's an England international. He played so well in that run, he got himself into the England squad. Yeah. He's still relatively young. He's only got, he's not on massive money. It just for me, and, and, and a year know. on his contract, like yeah. you know, what does it take to buy a player like that? When and when Southampton are paying Man City uh, up to ten million for a kid yeah. who hasn't even played for the first team, exactly. It's just I don't, I don't understand it. I start, of all the players, I think Maitland Niles surely is a very easy player to sell, but clearly not. Yeah, um, we have just finished this window, but um, and I don't want to go. You know, well, here we go again, but. Do you think in the context of this particular season, you know, with a World Cup not far away, it's like 10 games now until the break for the World Cup, and then there's another couple of games in December when we come back, and then January uh, kicks in and the January window is open. I mean, do you feel like that window might be the most important January window ever because... Clubs that players away at the World Cup are going to have some concerns about these guys when they come back because they haven't. Nobody's done this before. Nobody's done the mid-season World Cup thing, the break in the schedule, what it's going to mean for fitness. Um, you know, what is the uh, the term that they use? You know, to keep players fit um, when you keep them fit all the time when you're playing constantly, constantly. There's a term, isn't there, for condition? Sort of condition. I can't remember the name of it, but it, it's basically like. If you're playing all the time, then you stop and then you start again, you can tend to do yourself a little bit of damage. Um, There's a specific term for this, and I can't remember it, and someone will remind me on Twitter. But, you know, a lot of players aren't going to go to the World Cup. A lot of players are going to sit down for four to six weeks without any competitive football. I think that will have an an impact on on fitness, with injuries, Um, even if there's a freshness. You know, if you lose a little bit of that conditioning, um, you know, you, you could pull a hamstring, do whatever. And the January window feels like it could be a really important one, particularly as throughout November and, and throughout December, basically, because football doesn't come back again until December 26th in, in the Premier League. Managers and technical directors and scouts and agents and all that are going to have a lot of time on their hands to think about their squads and to think about potential deals that they might do. Yeah, I, I was thinking this last night. The January window is such an unknown this year, isn't mm. it? It's like normally it's the window that everyone doesn't want to do any business in. They still do, but they don't really want to do any mm. business in. But this year, like you said, because of all the mitigating factors surrounding it and the complete unknown that we're all heading into with the World Cup and the break in play, it is, it's going to be really, really interesting to see exactly what the clubs do in it. Mm. I still, I still don't think... And this is just personal opinion that, that I still think if they, 
they can they'll avoid doing too much i don't i can't imagine it's going to be another summer window and people are going to be throwing silly money around i think they'll still rather wait until the summer but um it is going to play a big 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 part and it's it's so strange just for you saying that like 10 games in 10 games time we're stopping yeah and that just feels so mad to think about and all your star players are suddenly going to play six weeks of the most intense sport of their lives basically well four weeks of it putting everything on the line for your for a world cup and Mm. then suddenly coming back and starting the season again pretty much straight away it's such a bizarre scenario that we're facing and um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see exactly what they do in January. I, but like I said, I still think they're they're probably going to look further towards the summer mm. and try and avoid doing too much. Um, it's going to be interesting what the clubs do as well when the the other players are away at the World Cup. The ones who aren't, you know, are they going to be trying to keep everyone fit? Are they going to? I don't really know what Arsenal are doing yet. Are they going to let players have two, three weeks holiday? Are they going to keep them training? They're going to play a lot of behind closed doors friendlies with other teams. Yeah. It's going to be a really interesting period of football football-wise that none of us have ever experienced before. Yeah, for sure. There's a question for the manager at his press conference um, to see what they're going to do. And I presume that, you know, there'll be a, a scientific element to this as well, but maybe it is a chance to give players a bit of a break and get them fresh and keep them fresh. The word I was looking for was periodization, I think, which is, you know, just making sure yeah. that players um, maintain their fitness through, you know, constant activity. And if you stop a little bit, it can have a it can have an impact. Let's um, just talk a couple of um, departures or one departure in particular I think that merits a little more discussion and that is Hector we mentioned him before um, you know it's sad in a way that it's ended in the way that it did because there's no chance to say goodbye to a player from the pitch or from the stands that kind of a goodbye I think is always is always nice and he never got a chance to do that Um his career at Arsenal, I think, was impacted very heavily by that cruciate ligament injury, um, and maybe before that as well, there was a there was an ankle problem. But since the cruciate, you know, the thing that really set Hector apart was that blinding pace, and everyone remembers that that clip. Um, was it against Swansea where he's basically half a pitch behind uh, the Swansea striker, comes back and makes a, a, a an amazing interception? I think there was another one he did as well. Um, around the same period where he just clocked himself off the post because he was sliding in uh, to make such a, an incredible challenge. And it, it, when a player sort of plateaus a little bit and people get a bit frustrated with a player that he's not what they what they thought he could be or what he was as an element of frustration, but he, you know, he was such an exciting prospect when he broke through and, you know, I, I think it's easy to forget that. And what a what a good guy he was, you know, on the pitch and off the pitch as well, the way he represented Arsenal, the way he represented himself, the way he spoke up for issues that he believed in, whether people agree with his stances on those things or not. You know, it's quite rare for a footballer to be so upfront and willing to put their head above the parapet, knowing that, like, maybe half the people who read it are going to think you're, you know, you're an idiot or whatever because of their, uh, their own personal beliefs, whatever it might be. But he was never afraid to do that represented the club during the pandemic period as well, you know, when there were all those discussions with the captains, raising funds for the NHS, you know, all of the, all of that. I think it was a great guy and a great, uh, great representative for Arsenal. So as much as Barcelona is like a weird basket case of a club that, you know, I don't know what the fuck they're at. I I wish him, you know, all the best and hope it goes really well for him. Yeah, it's just a really, really good guy, Hector. And I agree with everything you said. I, I think it's a shame that he's it's kind of ended for him the way he has the last two years have not been mm. great for him. He's not been happy at all. I mean, he, he was very happy back in Betis last, last season. Um, he really enjoyed his time there. And it was clear he was going to go somewhere this summer. If, and it, I, I can't... I, I, I'm a bit... Not annoyed, that's the wrong word. I'm disappointed he's ended up at Barca. I'd have liked him to come back to Betis, sure. um, hometown club. And I just, I just hate seeing Arsenal players go to Barcelona. <laughs> um, it just does my head. But absolutely, wish him the wish him the best of luck. You know, the 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 injury was just a killer for Hector, wasn't it? Like yeah. I said, he was so exciting when he came through, and those. Um, those runs you talk about, the sort of recovery runs. I remember, was it Ozil's goal against Bayern Munich at the Emirates? It was, wasn't it Bellerin? He said, "Oh, didn't he knock it round, knock it round the fullback and just tear up the ground yeah, yeah, to get yeah, to yeah, it yeah. and, and That's pull right, it yeah. in through?" And 
it was just so exciting. You know, we're genuinely one of, not just one of the best, most exciting right backs in, in England, but in Europe at that stage. And I remember he signed that seven-year deal, whatever it was he signed at the seven, time. Yeah, and yeah. it was just like, that's just such a brilliant piece of business for Arsenal, locking down this exceptional young talent who looks like he's going to take the football world by storm. And the injury was a real killer for him and you can just it is like you said it's sad when you watch a player when they come back and you can just see the thing that had made him so great wasn't mm. there anymore and there was a player really sort of struggling to to get back to any sort of semblance of what he once was and I think I'm not surprised he did well back in Spain last season because it's not as quick as the Premier League and I'm sure he'll do well for Barcelona um, but in terms of England and the Premier League and Arsenal it just you could see mm. it moved on from Hector and it wasn't he wasn't going to he wasn't going to cut it back here. So yeah, um, it's a shame how it ended. And it would have been great if he'd almost had gone after the, the FA Cup win a couple of years back when he played a key role in that final, played a key role in the winning goal. Mm. Um, I know it was behind closed doors, so fans weren't there. But still for him to kind of end it with a trophy, it would have been nice. And he wanted to go at that stage and Mikel talked him out of it and got him to stick around. And in the end, that wasn't the best decision really because the last two years have been a little bit yeah. messy. And I know they've been difficult behind the scenes for Hector. So... I wish him all the best, like like you, and I hope he, I hope he, um, I hope he does really well over there and sort of re-energizes his career. Yeah, would be great. And um, you know, I saw some people saying he was never the same after he went vegan, and I was thinking, like, you know what? It's not broccoli that was his problem. It was one of the most destructive injuries you can fucking get as a footballer. I think, I think that might have had a little bit more to do with it. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> right. Look, let's let's move on from the transfer window and let's talk football because you know I don't think it's been lost in the last 48 hours 24 hours but you know as disappointing as it is not to have signed someone and not brought someone in um it's quite nice to be able to rationalize that while you're sitting top of the table five wins from five 15 points um as good a start to the season as I can remember for a very long time and I don't even want to get into the discussion about how it's been uh, easy. Yes, the fixture list has been kind, but there have been seasons where the fixture list has been a right prick to us at the start of the season as well. So, you know, it's about time we got one of these. We've dealt with it as well as uh, anyone could deal with it, really. Five wins from five. The latest, of course, coming over Aston Villa on, on Wednesday night. And, you know, with a couple of injuries, with some players absent, um, there was a little bit of reshuffling of the team. Um, Albert Sambi Lokonga, someone we didn't really mention when we talked about central midfield, um, you know, a guy who didn't play a lot last season and a guy who was quite frustrated, as we saw in All or Nothing, that he didn't play uh, last season. Obviously hungry to get on the pitch, obviously hungry to, to play more minutes. Got his first start of the season before we get into the nuts and, uh, nuts and bolts of the game. What, what did you make of his performance, given it's his, I think, his first start since the Southampton game in that little period of three that we lost last season? I thought he played really well. Mm. I, I really did. I was really impressed with him, especially given the circumstances. And there was everyone was going to be looking at his performance uh, on, on Wednesday night after the injuries. And there was a lot of focus on him. He would have known that. He would have known he was under a little bit of pressure to perform. And... Um, I thought he played really well. I thought the whole team played really well. I mean, mm. honestly, I think the first half was the best 45 minutes I've seen Arsenal play this season, and they've played very well in a lot of games, but I mm. thought they were absolutely brilliant in that first half. It was so intense, easy. wasn't it? It was just the Absolutely. intensity was amazing. They they just could not get out. And the Villa, Villa were terrible, and I think they've got some real problems there, but they were terrible because Arsenal just did not let them get out of their heart. It was so intense, and... Um, I thought they were great, and you, you, they could have come in five 0 up at half time, and you wouldn't have said that flat mm. them at all. You know, it was, it was unbelievable that it was only one 0 and um, and uh, yeah, and I thought Sambi was re- really influential in that. I thought he, he held that midfield really well. He was he was really good on the ball. He moved it well. I think he only misplaced a couple of passes in, his, in the whole ninety minutes, and mm. um, and it, it, you know, it's a big this is a big opportunity for him. I thought he was really hard done by at the end of last season. I think a lot of people's opinions on him are really harsh because of what happened at the end of last season. He was suddenly thrown in at the crucial stage. He played no football for a long time and he was asked to play the, honestly, the most difficult role there is in the Arsenal team, which is basically holding a midfield by yourself. A, yeah. a position that it took Thomas Partey a long time to get used to. And this is Thomas Partey, you know, one of the most experienced players in Europe who's come Champions League footballer. 
come down and he struggled initially and it took him a long time to really get used to being the when Mikel did the tactical shift you could see that mm. and he's only just getting used to it now and then suddenly um, Sambi was thrown in there and it was really harsh I thought that uh, the way a lot of people seem to write him off after a couple of performances there where it wasn't just him it was bad the whole team was bad so mm. um again he's a bit of an unknown quantity we just don't really know just how good Sambi Sambi is and we're going to learn a lot about him I think in the next few weeks if he is you know sun- Sunday's going to be a huge test for him because like I said Villa weren't great Arsenal were at home there was a game they're expected to win they're going to be under an awful lot more pressure on Sunday at Old Trafford and if Sambi's again given that task given that place in midfield it'll mm. be really interesting to see how he copes with it but I thought I thought he did really well and like I said that first half I thought they were great it, really good I don't know how Bukai Saka didn't score yeah in that game, I bet he was sitting there. I, I, I did a sort of winners and losers piece after that game, and I put Pakaya in the losers piece, which is really harsh because I thought it was his best performance of the season. <laughs> but he must, have, he must have been sitting there afterwards, just thinking, "How yeah. on earth have I not scored in that?" Because he hasn't scored since open play, you know, open play since the goal at Villa Park at, in April, mm. and he's just—he's never going to get a pet chance to end that run yeah. that he did on the on Wednesday night. The, the, the one from Martinelli's cross was. And he should score, but it was a little bit. It was at least it was on his wrong foot. It was fizzed at him. It was it was on the half volley. But the one where he just fell over when he all he had to do was stand his feet and he had a tap in and he mm. managed to fall over. It's just like ah, oh, Bukai, what's going on? Um, <laughs> but yeah, on the whole, great performance. And the atmosphere was rocking. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. I love, honestly, the Emirates is best it's been since since two thousand six. Absolutely, it's it's a diff- my brother went with my dad because we um. I've, so I've got my season ticket next to my dad, which I don't use because I'm in the press box, but my dad sort of rotates it with um, a family member or friend who goes each game. And my brother hadn't been since about midway through last season. Right. And this was his first game there. And afterwards, he, came, he spoke to me on WhatsApp. He was like, it's just like watching, he said, it's just watching a different team completely. But he said that the whole experience against the Emirates is, is something, it's, it's completely different to what he's ever experienced there before. He wow. said the noise, the sound. He was talking about, he was asking about who the, Everyone was in the black T-shirts behind the clock, and you know the Ashburton Army. Yeah, just said it's completely different to anything he's ever known at the Emirates before. The the whole noise, the atmosphere, the vibrancy, and I thought that was a really telling comment from really because yeah. we see it. So we've been eased into it week by week, and we can kind of I know it's better than it has been, but for someone who hasn't been for six months, it's sure. Probably- there you can really see the difference of what it's like yeah for sure i mean it comes across on tv and i'm looking forward to getting over um uh, towards the end of the the month for a game so uh, fingers crossed and long may it last obviously i mean you you talked about bakayo saka there and there is obviously a you know when he missed the chances people are like oh is saka really feeling the effects but you know i have to say i thought he was really good mm. um and i think he's been good this season you know, without the goals, I still think his all-round play has been good. He's had a few assists, I think. And you look at that front three, or front four, rather, um, against Villa the other night. Saka, three shots, three key passes. Martin Odegaard, three shots, three key passes. Gabriel Martinelli, five shots, two key passes. Gabriel Jesus, four shots, uh, one key pass. That sort of that thing that they're building and and clearly still uh, working to get on each other's wavelengths perfectly, Jesus is knitting things together. We can see that. The way he is um, dynamic in the final third, I think is really helping all the other players around him. But that front four for Arsenal, coupled with what I think is, you know, a, a really solid platform at the back, is very very exciting. The 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 midfield worries that we I think we all have, um, perhaps are mitigated a bit by the fact that at the back and up front there are these units which are really functioning very well. Yeah, absolutely. The front the front four is just it's amazing how one player has made such a difference to that that front four. Like you said, Jesus he just knits it all together. But the intensity they play with, which is almost taking a little bit of pressure off the midfield at the moment, because mm. a lot of teams aren't even getting to the Arsenal midfield because the four, the front four is getting the ball before it even gets to them, and um, they just the work rate. The F, I mean, Gabriel Martinelli just does not stop, and the fact that he's actually started the season with three goals in five games now is such a big thing mm. because we all know what how good Martinelli can be. We know what he brings. We know the energy he can bring. But it was always a case of, does he score enough goals? Probably not. And the fact he started in pretty prolific fashion this time for a wide player, three and five, is mm. not to be sniffed at. If he can continue that, I mean, you've literally got, you've got a world beater on your hands there. 
he was unlucky not to get a couple. How I mean, that's saved from Martinez from the half from the half volley. Yeah, it's just rude almost to save that because it would have been such a good goal. <laughs> and you can see, and they're best mates, those two as well. And you can see Martinelli afterwards on the replay, the way he was laughing. He was just, you knew what he was thinking. It's like, oh, I can't believe you've saved that. Um, and they're just really exciting to watch, aren't they? It's mm. really, really exciting football. And when you sort of go back to last season and the, how it was a bit one-paced and and the struggles of just having no one in the penalty area, just that one the Jesus for Lacazette, the uplifting output and quality that that one change has made has been pretty remarkable. And I think Martin Odegaard's playing a big part as well. He's had a really good start yep. this season. And I agree with you on Saka. I don't think Saka's been bad. I think you just hold Saka to such high standards, don't you? And the fact that he hasn't scored yet is a is a concern. There's no doubt about it. But mm. he's playing rel- He's playing pretty well. He's not been bad in any of the matches I've seen. He's just maybe not quite hit the heights that he has done. But I thought... I thought it was the best performance of the season on, on Wednesday night. And then the assist for Martinelli was really good as well because yeah. a lot of players would have just sort of panicked and, and just sent that in. But he, he took his time. He, he, he saw that Martinelli was in space and he picked him out perfectly. It was a really good assist. And that's a couple in two successive games now for him, which will, which will do him the world as good as well. Yeah. I'm not worried. Like, he'll no, score. The goal will he's come. still in my fantasy team. He's, he's been in my fantasy <laughs> team all week, all season. And each time he's like... Oh, you know, if I take, I know if I take him out, it'll bag two in the next game. Okay, so take him, take him out right now, right as we're speaking. <laughs> take him out before we go to Old Trafford on Sunday. Um, <laughs> what was I going to say to you? Yeah, the 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 Villa equaliser. Um, I think what's really really interesting about this team this season is the belief or the character, whatever you want to call it. It's hard to quantify. You can't measure it, but you can see it when it's there and you can see it when it's not there, right? You can see it in teams when something goes against them, heads go down and it's like, oh, what are we going to do here? When Leicester scored against Arsenal, Arsenal hit back straight away. When Leicester scored again, Arsenal hit back straight away. Um, it was the other game as well. What was it? The Fulham game. When Fulham scored, Arsenal were uh, level within five minutes. Villa score, Arsenal go ahead within uh, whatever it is, 90 seconds, two minutes, could be less than that. I know the sample size is small. I know that is not going to happen every time the opposition score, but there is something to be said for a team, A, that can do that, and the more they do it, the more they believe that they can do it again and again and again and again. And how, how many times have we seen the best teams in this league? You've got to deal with adversity you've got to deal with game situations that aren't going your way whether it's you know man city being two nil down uh, i know they've got like as as um i think it was phil uh, costa was saying the other day that that um erling holland is like basically like a cheat code of a footballer for you but you know throughout history um even the best arsenal teams that we saw if things were not going well they could dig it out whether it was to get a point or whether it was to get the the narrow win you know being able to master those fine margins is the difference be- uh, between being like a top 4 team and a team that just you know, falls short or doesn't get anywhere near absolutely and it's something that arsenal haven't done for a long time yeah. you think of last season when when arsenal when arsenal went behind last season it was it was done wasn't it they weren't going to come back i think they did it once in that game against wolves mm in March, whenever it was. But other than that, they just they, they didn't overturn the deficit once. The fact they've done that already this season in the Fulham game, it's going to be, mentally, it's going to be huge. And then to back that up with, like you said, the responses to conceding the goal is massive. We spoke to Granite after the game on Wednesday night. It was a few of us went in, in the mix zone were waiting for him, literally like an hour and a half. It was He was chosen for doping control, unfortunately. And uh, he just couldn't go to the toilet. <laughs> so we were literally waiting for him to get to the toilet for like an hour and a half, really glamorous, waiting for Granite Jacket to go for a piss and, um, <laughs> before we could talk to him. But it, it was well worth it because Granite's brilliant when he talks. You know, he's the best player there is for, for talking to the media in, in Arsenal. And he was speaking about that mentality and the shift and how he can feel it. And that for the first time since he's been there now, he, he says this real belief that when they go behind that they can turn things around and each time you do that that belief is just going to get stronger and stronger and it's all part of this mentality shift that Jacker says that he can feel that it's really apparent within this change room and, mm. and um to do that is it's it's huge it's such an important thing for a team to do because even if like you said it, it's just to rescue a point that's still a point that you wouldn't have got last yeah, yeah. season and i think well, i think the fans again i go back to the atmosphere the noise after villa scored 
you know, when everyone went back and just before the kickoff, the restart, the noise in the ground, the cheer that went round, it was so loud and it just almost felt like the fans believed that they were going to come back straight away. And it's just everyone's buying into it. I think it's it's a really big thing. Like you said, it's not going to happen every time. And, you know, Arsenal are going to lose games. They're not going to come back. But to be able to know that you can mm. is just a big thing because I think last season, soon... As soon as I saw Arsenal go behind, I was sitting there thinking, "That's it, it's game over." Yeah. And and I'm sure I'm not alone. I wasn't alone in that. And I'm sure the players deep down probably thought that because they just haven't got they haven't got the evidence to back it up that they can come back. But now they do, and mm. each time that they do it, that that belief's going to get even stronger. And it's such an important thing in in a long season to be able to do that. Just finally, um, I, I guess there are a couple of injury worries ahead of the United game. Um, Martin Odegaard took a very heavy kick from from John McGinn. Uh, I don't really want to get into a whole thing about the refereeing. Um, He's the worst referee I've I, seen. Honestly. Terrible. Honestly. Absolutely terrible. I, I mean, it, that, that tackle by McGinn on Odegaard is a direct consequence, A, of Steven Gerrard's team talk which seemed to be just like go kick them um don't worry about playing football um but but also the refereeing where he let a lot go some of the decisions were were bizarre like quite how Bakayo Saka didn't have a penalty I've got no idea Tyrone Mings basically picks him up and fucking throws him on I just don't I don't get it but um, I, I don't know that we'll get much from Mikel Arteta about the injury situation because he's not going to show his hand um, ahead of a game at Old Trafford against Manchester United. But but fair to say that there's probably a little bit of concern over over Odegaard, who you know, like you say, has been so influential this season and and so important as well. When you look at the the goals for tally he's got uh, already. Yeah, he walked past us in the mix zone after the game, and he was strapped up, had ice, mm. and. It didn't look great, but it's a bit early, isn't it? I think mm. Arsenal do all they can to get him fit. I think they'll just hope it is an impact injury that after a day or so, it would have, it would have calmed down a little bit. Zinchenko went past us as well. He still had ice on his knee, um, which was a little bit of a worry. But yeah. all the words coming out of Arsenal before the game on Wednesday night that he was going to be really close because he was he was he, he was, was in training. Yeah. He had a he had a, he had a te- fitness test before the Fulham game, and then you just it was decided not to risk him and didn't look that injured when he went bombing down the touchline to celebrate <laughs> the winning goal. But the fact, yeah, I was, well, I was a bit surprised when I saw him walk past us after the game on Wednesday night and he still had his, yeah, had ice on his knee. So that was a bit of worry because he also comes into the equation of the whole midfield as well. Yeah. That we haven't talked about, but um, he could easily come into one of those positions and potentially allow Granit Xhaka to drop back into a deeper role if needed be, if needs be. Um, so there is a little bit of concern for the first time this season, injury wise, but, like I said, I mean, I don't think Mikel's going to give away any hints before that, um, before the match. And um, Zinchenko did train during the week on on Tuesday. He was training, but he was training by himself. But he was doing running. He was out on the pitch running. So mm. I wouldn't be surprised if he if he makes it. And I think he'll make a big difference because he'll certainly go into the starting eleven if he does make it. Um, whether that be at left back or in midfield, Odegaard's the big one. I think if Odegaard is missing, that's going to be. That's, that'll be a big blow to Arsenal because yes, Smith Rose, Smith Rose there, but Smith Rose not played this season really, not mm. had any substantial minutes, and just suddenly throw him in, throwing him in um, at Old Trafford in a game that big against the United side who found some form is going to be. Mm. I think it'd be quite a big drop off. Yeah. So they really need Odegaard. He has scored there before, of course, Smith Rowe. So if he's yeah. called upon, hopefully he can uh, he can do that again. Of course, Bakayo Saka, as soon as you take him out of your fantasy team, will get the other goals. The thing is, though, if I'm going to take him out of my fantasy <laughs> manager, it's going to be to bring Martinelli in. It's going to be a straight swap. And so I'll just curse Martinelli then. Could you not, like, curse Harry Kane? No? Something like I've that? I've done that. I've done that before. <laughs> and it hasn't worked. You always bloody scores. <laughs> There's no winning here. No winning here. All right. No. Listen. Unfortunately, I can't. I've told him all my best to curse Harry Kane so many times. It never works. Oh, well, keep it up. Maybe one day you'll get there. Uh, for now, we better leave it. Charles, thanks very much. All right, mate. Speak to you soon. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Thank you very much indeed to Charles. You can find him on Twitter. He is at Charles underscore Watts at Charles underscore Watts. Right. There's another transfer window done. It's now full focus on the football. And of course, there's a big game this weekend against Manchester United. At the time of recording, we don't have a lot more information about team news, etc., etc., as much as we might get from Mikel Arteta in his press conference. We will, of course, have a preview podcast for you over on Patreon. Uh, you can uh, join us there, patreon.com forward slash arsblog. That's patreon.com forward slash arsblog. James and I will be recording the Arscast Extra on Sunday evening, pretty much straight after the game uh, at Old Trafford. So fingers crossed we'll be having a goodly evening and uh, I hope we can make it six out of six and continue our great run, great start to the season and stay where I like us being, which is uh, top of the table. I'm going to leave it there for today. In the interest of getting this out for everybody as quickly as I can, there is no end bit at the end of this particular Arscast. Apologies for that. Normal service should resume next week. For now, though, thank you very much. Hope you enjoyed the show, and I will catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.